This is your host, Bobby Shortle. Before we get into the show, I want to let everybody know that this week on the show, we have Green Wake writer Curtis Weeb. Now, at around the 39-minute mark to the 41-minute mark, we do get into some slight spoilers for the first five issues of Green Wake. So if you want to be completely clean, you might want to skip those two minutes. Other than that, it's a spoiler-free Really good conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it, and let's get down to talking comics. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, it is Wednesday, January 4th, 2012, and you are listening to Talking Comics. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am here with Steve Say. Good evening and a happy new year. As always, on the line with Stephanie Cook. Hey, everyone. Happy new year. And joining us, a very special guest, writer of Green Wake, Curtis Weeb. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> of course, man. We're stoked to have you here. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, New Year's. It's 2012. The last year of existence that we're all going to have. Um, and uh, how was your New Year's, Steve? My New Year's was good. Um, you were there. I, I, it's true. I was there. I'm asking more for the people listening than for me because I know how your New Year's was. It was good. We had a little shindig at my place. And uh, had a couple friends over last minute, some food, some drinks, a little bit of nuttiness. Uh, we got to light off some fireworks. Yeah, he Actually to... hit a pedestrian with an M40, which was pretty damn funny. Mm. Um, but beyond that, it was a good time. And I'm very much looking forward to this year because there is lots of good stuff happening right now. It's so it's only going to get better. Yeah. Stephanie, how was your New Year's? Um, it was pretty quiet. I had opened up a bottle of wine and I sat down with the Rocketeer, uh, picked that up on, got it for Christmas and, uh, decided to give it a watch for old time's sake. And how did, how did it hold up for you? It was so good still. I mean, it's hokey, but it's amazing. Can't go wrong with the Rocketeer. It's pretty, it's pretty great. Curtis, it is pretty great. How was your New Year's? Uh, my New Year's was pretty uneventful. I, we went out to this one party and it's kind of like a, a friend of a friend. It's his younger brother and I was a lot older than everybody there. And so I kind of pieced out after a while and ended up at my sister's place and uh, we ended up playing games. It was pretty quiet. So <laughs> I think everybody had a pretty quiet New Year's this year. It wasn't so bad. We played some apples to apples. No, it wasn't bad, but it was, I would say it was quiet. <laughs> it was mellow. It was mellow. Yeah. It was very mellow. We talk, you and I talked an awful lot of shop. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. As we always do when we, we hang out. Yeah, when we get in the same room together. Say, hey, Bobby, how are you? How are you? Oh, yeah, about this. Yeah. How do I change this thing on the website? <laughs> yeah, how do I make the font black? <laughs> yeah. um, but overall, I hope everybody out there had a great, great New Year's. Um, but let's break right into talking about some comics. 
because after all, we are talking comics. Um, so book of the week. Stephanie, what was your book of the week? Um, so again, this week, a lot of people have been making a lot of recommendations to me on Twitter. And so one of the recommendations I've heard over and over and over again is um, Terry Moore's Rachel Rising. Um, so I decided to check that out. So uh, my book of the week is Rachel Rising number one. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it pretty well, like the title sums up the first story pretty well in a nutshell. I mean, Rachel rises. She rises from the dead. Um, she wakes up in this shallow grave and just doesn't know what the fuck is going on. Um, it's just, I mean, what to say about it? It's pretty simplistic. Like the art, it's all black and white. Um, it's by Terry Moore, if you aren't familiar. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. I loved the shit out of it. Some of the panels are like just completely wordless and it's still so effective. Um, what's the yeah. what's the general plot of the book? What like what does she I know, do after I'm she sorry, rises I up? I kind of got lost uh, thinking okay. about it. I read uh, number two and three just before the show started. And uh, basically what's going on is um, this girl, Rachel, you kind of... Uh, blah, 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 blah. How do I describe it without giving it away too much? Basically, she comes back from the dead. Um, she wakes up and she doesn't remember where she's come from. Like, she's lost three or four days of her life. She has no idea what's happened to her. Um, her neck, like, it looks like she's been strangled. Um, but she doesn't know how, you know, that got there. Um, she just doesn't know. Her eyes have turned all weird. And uh, basically, she's trying to piece together what has happened to her. Um, right at the beginning, there's this kind of spooky woman who's sort of um, hovering over her grave, but Rachel doesn't really notice her, and then she's just gone. So, I mean, I'm really kind of curious to see where they where they take that, and uh, they don't give you a lot to work with as what's going on. It's more sort of about Rachel just kind of being like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so does it set up like a good, a good tone and stuff yeah, that like, you want to continue I mean, it's, with? It's not too, I mean, it's not scary. It's not really like spooky or anything, but the first book, uh, it's pretty mysterious and it's just basically leading into something that I think could be really, really good. Um, it's taking sort of that undead supernatural thing and uh, just putting a really interesting twist on it. It's, um, it's definitely worth picking up. Like I said, the art's really simplistic, but the story's great, and the art that is there is so well done, and it's definitely, definitely worth checking out. That's cool. I've seen that on the shelves a couple of times, and I've I've had it in my hands, but I've always put it back. Maybe now I'll go and uh, check it out. So it's definitely interesting. I mean, I like I said, I read two and three um, earlier before the podcast, but. I don't want to go into them so much as just talk more about number one. I like where they're going with the story, um, but it'll be sort of interesting to see where it goes from where I've read. Very nice. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Steve, mm -hmm. what about you? Um, my book this week is uh, something that I picked up. There's been two issues of it so far. It's put out by IDW Publishing, and it's uh, called Monocyte. And I guess the subtitle to this particular run is called In the Land of the Blind of the One-Eyed is King. Now, 
This is, I guess, like Rachel Rising, this is another book that's rather difficult to talk about. Um, I think what made this my favorite book this week among the the many that I've read was that since we've been since we've started talking comics, we started out covering the DC fifty two and we basically had gotten bombarded by superheroes and lots of flash and lots of like big bangs and all this all this stuff going on that as we started to build the website, we got to explore more of what comic books have to offer aside from the classic heroes. And the more I get into this stuff, uh, the more I'm finding that there are other books, kind of like Green Wake, which we'll be talking about later, that really kind of test the reader's ability to to digest the information that they're being given. Uh, Monocyte, in my estimation, is extremely complicated at first. Um, I can try to give you a summarization of it. It's pretty much about these two groups, uh, the Antediluvians and the Ulagnostics, which are basically two races born from man's hubris and anguish, and then also on the other side, man's ability to abuse technology. And these two races were born. And it's like a like an H.R. Geiger art style uh, put out by uh, Menton 3. And a quick little side note, which I thought was interesting, but... Um, Riley uh, Rosmo, who does the art for Green Wake, actually did one of the uh, variant covers for the second issue, which I discovered on my way here, which was pretty cool. But, um, I mean, it's really a series that if you want to read something really dark and something that'll make you think, it's very uh, Shakespearean in its presentation. The language of it is extremely heavy-handed, and you kind of have to have a mind for the macabre and for really, really dark places uh in order to to truly get satisfaction out of this book if you're saying that then it must be true yeah <laughs> but you know what it is it's just it's a it's a really really solid read like once you get in there's two issues out so far once you get into the second issue you start to kind of uh catch the rhythm of of the books like i found a couple of the authors that i like to read outside of comic books like chuck palinuk where you really need to kind of read for a little while before you catch on to the way, like the rhythm of the book. And that's exactly what Monocyte is like. Um, I'm, it's only, I think there's going to be, this is two of four. So I'm hoping that after these four issues are done, that they're going to maybe start another storyline and continue it. But um, there's not really too much else I can say other than the fact that it is an absolutely just gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. Uh, the writing will really make you think. It reminds me of something that you would have found in like H.P. Lovecraft's comic book pile if he had one, <laughs> you know. And um, I just I highly recommend it. You can find if you want some more information. There's uh, two full reviews of the first two issues on the Talking Comics website that I wrote up that are uh, much more in depth than I'm talking about it now. But when I when I read it, it just it really reminded me that comic books can be a lot more than just superheroes and, you know, big giant arcs like you can have something that's very, very uh, involved and very, very dark and very personal. And there's just there's a lot going on in this book. There's a lot of um, like ideology in it. And uh, and I, I dig it. I'm totally, now that I've caught the rhythm of it, I love the art, um, I love the writing, and I'm totally down for more. So if you're in the mood for something like that, I'd suggest that you pick it up because it'll rock your world. Pretty intense. Yeah, it's very intense. Okay. I like intense. Oh, I know. Intense is good. I, I'm, I'm aware that you like intense. <laughs> um, Curtis, have you been reading anything this week? Uh, no, I've been, 
I was kind of traveling a bit. I was out in Victoria, uh, BC, the west coast of Canada, and I, I was out there for ten days visiting family. And mm. yeah, I just I was so busy trying to keep up with that and trying to work that I have not read anything since I left. So, and the only thing that I was able to read actually was interesting. <laughs> I was reading Peter Pan, uh, J.M. Barrie's version. I was going through this kind of annotated version that's really interesting. So, kind of partial research, but also just to enjoy it as well. Very cool. Um, slacker working. Who works? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I guess somebody has to write the book. Yeah, I guess it's not like you have comic books coming out. Yeah. Right, <laughs> um, so uh, my book of the week, uh, I had the, the pleasure of um, checking out an advanced copy of uh, flash writer uh, Brian Buccalato's new book, Foster, um, which is not out yet. And he's self, uh, it's self-publishing. He's, he, he created it. It's creator owned. And um, he, it's a, uh, it's tough to, I wrote a review. It's on talkingcomicbooks.com, and you can check it out there. It's uh, it was the first review uh, on the internet about about the book, and you know it's interesting when you sit down to. We've had an, a, a few kind of exchanges with Brian uh, on Twitter, and it's always interesting when you get something to read, um, something to review for somebody's work who you know looks at the stuff that you write. You know, <laughs> so there's that moment where you're worried right that like oh what if i don't like it and that's right he's not he's gonna read it because i have to if i don't like it i have to write i don't like it because that's what i'm supposed to do um but i read it and i was blown away it was pretty fantastic by what i read um i I mean anybody who listens to the show knows how much i'm loving the uh the run of the flash right now in the dc new 52 and this book is completely different, but still manages to capture a lot of the things that I love about that book, which is a kind of dedication to um, earnest uh, emotions within like ridiculous circumstances. And um, the book does a great job and uh, of creating a sympathetic character who is really not, if on his face, a very sympathetic guy. If you don't, if you don't really get into his depths and, uh, the book opens in a flashback sequence, which shows this the kid version of this character encountering something very scary, both domestically and sort of supernaturally, and that immediately ingratiates you to that character. Um, the The tone of the story is very, and by his own admission, um, in the front of the book, there's a you know telling you kind of a to frame you and what what you're about to read is a kind of in the 70s cop crime drama kind of feel like a French connection type of feel. Um, There's also a lot of uh, a John Carpenter vibe to it. I think in a lot of ways Um, I can almost hear like that Cynthia score happening (laughs) over some of the scenes, you you know, and um, I I don't want to get too much into plot details, but it's a story of a man who who, uh, encounters real life monsters and he has to protect a young boy who's been abandoned by his mother uh, from those monsters. And that's basically that's the gist of it, but that does not tell you at all what's really happening in the book, which is um, again, has very, the art is very interesting because it's, it's almost, it almost reminds me of old school comic strip art in a lot of ways. That's exactly what I was going to say, you know, and, but it it does, it at times is very simplistic and, and very detailed in in the same kind of hand in hand moment, um, I think it's perfect for the, the story that it's trying to tell, and that's always what I look for um, in art in any of the, any book I'm mm-hmm. I'm reading. Um, I, I can't stress enough 
how it's kind of a, a must buy. If you could, um, if you go to his site, uh, brianbooch.com, he is telling you what comic book stores are carrying it, and he's also selling it himself. Um, but Steve, you also read it. I mean, yeah. I just want to give you a second opinion about what you thought of the the book. I, I thought it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I was, I was going to pipe in and, and say that it does have a very old school feel to it. I yeah. mean, I haven't read too many uh, older comics, but mm-hmm. for for Christmas, I had actually gotten quite a few. And it really does have like an old school vibe to it. Um, it's almost like an adventure in a sense. Yeah. And um, the language of it, and I love the the art style about how recently we've been so used to seeing Brian draw the Flash that it has shades of the character designs, but not by much. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that level of detail, but in this, at the same time. The detail is is in the writing, and the detail is in the story, and it's still the artwork is very very complementary to the feel that that the story is trying to give you. It's not trying to go for the 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 big you know explosions and stuff like that. It's trying to tell a very centralized story to these two characters and the threat that is is posed onto them. And I just I I really dug it. I you know I know that we we talk to him a lot, and you you try not to you know your your friends or whatever, and you're kind right. of like oh, but it's good. It's yeah. damn good. Yeah. Um. The art is by uh, Noel Tozan. I hope I'm saying that name right. Oh, so he's no. Oh, he's so not, Brian just oh, okay. He's just, he's just he's Brian Vichelato is draw, uh, writing and coloring it. That's interesting because there are definitely, I mean, not in all panels, but in certain panels, they'll it almost looks uh, like reminiscent of uh, character models from the Flash. Mm, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, you know, he's not. I'm sure he has a lot of input. But, that explains uh, that explains a lot to me, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, Research. Yeah, Love it's it. <laughs> it's uh, a fantastic book. Every, um, you should definitely pick it up if you have the opportunity. All right, so um, that's it for our book of the week segment. Uh, let's move on to the meat of our show this week, which is to talk to our guest, Curtis Weeb, about all things him, I guess is what we're, we're going to make this very casual, we're going to have a conversation, but I think we've, we've all at least read some Green Wake. I've read all Green Wake. Well, I've read, yes, but I, <laughs> <laughs> so you just want to make sure you know he is best, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the I man. I already made that decision when I heard that, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the man. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did uh, solicit today. We asked for questions on Twitter um, from our, some of our listeners, and we did get we had an awful lot of responses. And I want to thank everybody who sent in questions um, at Talking Comics. Um, and we're going to kind of go to your questions first because uh, we want to make sure we get your questions out there and we don't want to repeat anything. So, um, Stephanie, you kind of called together those questions, right? Yeah, I've got them here. So I guess we'll start off with um, a few of them about Green Wake. Sure. Um, so. Let's see. Sigma six. uh, He wrote us a couple questions. And um, first one he asked was, what was your inspiration for the town of Green Wake? Do you foresee expanding the universe outside the actual town? Uh, The inspiration for the the town. Green Wake is, I guess I should maybe clarify a little bit. Green Wake is kind of a a strange kind of otherworldly town where people show up there and they don't know how they got there. And there doesn't seem to be a a real way out. And uh, the, the whole story centered around that town. And how it came to be, it, it actually was something that I was, Riley and I have been friends for a few years now, and he was trying to give me a leg up to get some stuff in with Image. And he wanted me to do some filler content in the back of his series proof. And so it was meant to be just a couple of like two or three page short stories. And it was going to be kind of this investigative, kind of slightly noir, slightly cultish, uh, story about this girl who goes missing in this weird town and 
and it was just going to be a few short stories that I was going to do with that. But as I was developing the world, uh, the town started to kind of take precedence as the development continued. And uh, I mean, there's some definite, definite Cthulhu influence in the story. And, you know, like with the frog people and stuff, essentially, uh, was influenced by that. But really, it came about over probably about a period of a year. I, I Riley and I developed the, the actual location, like what rules applied, how it works, what doesn't work, what fits, and all those kinds of things over the course of a year before we even actually uh, put the whole story together. So it, it was just an amalgamation of, of ideas and thoughts that we shared together over the course of that year. Uh, as far as taking it out anywhere outside the town, probably not. Uh, in the first arc, we do take it outside of Green Wake for, you know, for flashbacks and also for some resolution and uh, at the near the end of the first arc. But uh, plans for further development outside, I don't think so. Okay. Very good. I think this pretty well just answered, you answered most of this here, but uh, I guess in the first arc, arc, Morley sort of has the flashbacks and such, and uh, Sigma-6 also asked, will he go back into the real world for any more storylines? And he wanted to know, he wanted to also say that he loved the art, and he wanted to know if the frog depiction will be revealed? <laughs> yes. Um... I don't know if yeah. that's a little spoilery for the people who haven't read it yet, but uh, well, I don't know the, if you can. I can, I can, yeah, I can tell a bit about. So, as far as Morley ever returning back, um, that's something that we're building towards in this arc, the second arc, which is issues six through ten, and number eight came out just last week, and so we're starting to build up, you know, the some of the resolution as to what's happening with Morley, what he's figuring out about the town of Green Wake, and what his ultimate destiny is going to be with the town. And whether or not he actually escapes, or whether he ever gets back to the real world, uh, I mean, that is obviously a big spoiler, so I'm not going to say what happens there, but um, it could go either way. I'll leave it at that. And as far as the frogs, yes, we do resolve what the reason behind the kind of frog people the people that slowly turn into frogs over time, and then why there's so many actual frogs in the town of Green Wake and why they have, they're such a prevalent symbol throughout the story. That all is going to be answered uh, probably by issue 10. Great. Okay. Um, there's actually a couple... There's one more question related to Riley and uh, Ray Wegner, a.k.a. on Twitter, RJW1213. Um, he wanted to know how you hooked up with artist Riley Rosmo, which you kind of covered. You guys know each other? Well, we did. And I actually met Riley. Uh, it was actually the first issue of Proof had come out. And uh, the artist that I'm working on, Peter Panzerfaust with, Tyler Jenkins, they actually went to school together. And so they were friends. And uh, Riley was at a local pub just celebrating his first you know, big published comic. And I happened to be in town. And I went along with Tyler to go say hello and to congratulate him. And that's where I first met him. And since then we kind of stayed in touch. I always emailed him. And I, at the time I was kind of just pitching any project to any artist that would give me time without really <laughs> taking into consideration what their artistic skills were, you know, what they specialized in. So for instance, um, one of the, <laughs> one of the projects that I pitched to Riley was actually one of my first publications. And that was with red five comics. It was this beautiful creatures. And it's like a, it's an action comedy in the vein of like Buffy, and uh, I, like I asked Riley if he'd be interested in writing, he's like he just his response in the email was no. 
<laughs> so, you know, I, I learned a lot about pitching certain projects to certain artists. And so, yeah, we just stayed in touch over, you know, over the few years. And eventually, like whenever I was in town, he's actually from Calgary, Alberta. And that's only, like, you know, about five hours away from me. So whenever I was in town, I'd call him up and we'd meet for coffee or I'd go see him at the comic store that he worked at at the time and just say hello and chat for a bit. So, yeah, we've always gotten to know each other. And then he actually, he moved to my town for about a year. And in that time, we got to be pretty good friends. And, I mean, obviously, lots of things have come out of that as well. So, you know, Green Wake was definitely benefited from our ability to work really close together. That's fantastic. Everyone cools from Canada. It's true. I mean, we've had you on the show now, and Andrew Foley was from Canada. I mean, let's just talk about every awesome comic book artist move to Canada, and writer Bobby. from Canada. Yeah, no. <laughs> let's just go get an Anglo and live in Canada. Canada. I'm not yeah, giving guys. up and moving to Canada. Oh, come on. That old cliche. Healthcare. Uh, enjoy the, the polar bear wrestling team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, actually, you just mentioned beautiful creatures, and... Um, we actually got a question from Hansel Marino who wanted to know about Beautiful Creatures and whether you were going to continue that story or not. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. The, the problem with that is that the, the project is kind of equally shared as far as like the intellectual property is shared with two other artists. And I haven't really been in touch with them. And on top of that, like Red 5... I haven't really been in touch with them either. I mean, it's something I could definitely revisit if there is interest, but the truth is that it didn't sell very well. And um, I suspect that there probably wouldn't be much increase in sales, even if I did revisit it. But who knows, like if, if there are people that are interested and people, not people voice it, then I might actually contact that team again. But it was, it was, it was what, good for what it was. It was an entry kind of entry level position. Essentially it, it got my name on something and it was something I could put on my portfolio. And I'm definitely, happy with how it turned out it just unfortunately didn't sell very well so i would say probably not <laughs> well i think he wanted to know he also mentioned that he loved the book so you always know how it is with fans and you have something and it goes away and <laughs> you want it back so i mean i'm sure we can all relate to that absolutely well, I, I appreciated the shout out anyway i don't hear many people talk about that book i, I actually in when i was at a, a common convention somebody came up to me and just said, oh, I loved Beautiful Creatures. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of gave this look like someone put you up to this, man. Come on. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, there are people that actually liked it and read it. So, and, you know, it is available on, on I think, Comixology. So it, it is available if people actually want to read it like for like a dollar or something like that. And I think even the first issue is free. So I was actually just going to say oh, that. I actually, before we start recording, I actually downloaded the first issue. You know that Bobby's always interested in the comic when I'm sitting opposite him and his eyebrows go up. He does it like Buffy. That's, yeah, yeah. As soon like, as you said the words Buffy, like yeah. an action adventure in the vein of Buffy, like his eyebrows left his forehead. He was like, Rrr. sold. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Like um, Buffy will sell anything to me. Yes. Joss yeah. Whedon. Yeah. Anything. Mm -hmm. um, so we have one more question uh, from Twitter. And I can only assume that this guy is your biggest fan, uh, Matthew. Angel? Ang Angel? Anyways, I'm sorry if I can't say the name. It's, you I can't differentiate He's going to tweet. Angel. He's an Angel? Angel. <laughs> Angel. Angel. Whatever. Anyways. Um, he wants to know, and this is completely out of the blue. I mean, it's, you know. Would you rather be attacked by a dozen duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? 
that old question again. Fed a dollar for every time. Um, let's see. I don't know. I think I think probably uh, duck-sized horses because you can just, I mean, step on them a lot easier. Whereas a giant duck could do a lot of damage. I, I think. mean, yeah. I mean, it depends. Yeah. It's all about context. I need some context, you know. But I'll, that, that's the answer that I'll give them is the is the duck-sized horses. Yeah, you need some uh, situational context. You know, wh- how big is the room that you're in? Are you in a field? I mean, can you get away from the giant duck? Yeah, that's running at you? I mean, come on. Are you in the no, water? Because like, either way, if you're in the water, are they screwed. there to make me feel better about myself? I mean, there's so many variables that just aren't included in that question. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure to respond to him and ask him for more uh, clarity next time. Tell him to send it in an email. Yeah. So, there you uh, go. That's not the kind of, of question which, you can ask in Twitter. Where are we with these uh, duck horses? Yeah, excuse me. <laughs> Let's get down to brass tacks here. Um, oh, yeah, we have an email um, from Samuel Moon. And it kind of goes hand in hand with a question I had as well. Um, because it's kind of in the vein of he's a... Um, young writer he wants to be a writer and he wants to break into the comic book industry and he kind of just wants to know like you know uh, know, how did you go about starting your kind of journey into this world and you know he how'd you go about finding the first artist you found to draw a book like that's what his main hang-up is trying to find somebody who can who can draw so um if you want to tell us a little bit about that oh sure yeah yeah i i've been i've been attacking this career for i'd say probably five years and first, at first, I was uh, I'd written a few scripts, and I, I looked locally because I had friends that were artists, and uh, you know, it's it's a little bit difficult when you try to attach artists that are like, oh, you know, it's, that's really cool, but they have no long term drive to actually be a comic artist. They like drawing and they think it's fun, but they don't actually like want to pursue comics as their career. Uh, it's so I learned that very early on that you can kind of tell when you approach certain people if they would actually follow through on it or not, or if it's like they'll send you a page every month or two and, you know, just kind of leave it at that. Uh, So what I started doing was looking on websites like ConceptArt and DeviantArt. And I think even Comics, Comic Space, I think there was like some kind of Comic Space website where there was a lot of writers and artists that uh, put up their projects and and their portfolios and stuff like that. So those are all places that I visited quite frequently. And as a starting out writer, and I didn't have any credits to my name at the time, I basically said, look, this is what I'm, this is the project I need. This is the script. I need, you know, your art for it. And I will do everything that I possibly can to get this in many, as many editors' hands. I will take care of all of the logistics, all the legwork. I'll go to the cons and pitch it. All I need you to do is a five-page pitch for me. Um, Now, some people go about and they, they pay people out of pocket, and I've, I've never had to do that. I did that once with one project and it actually fell through and it was a complete waste of time. And I cautioned against it in creator-owned comics, paying an artist to do a project. And I could talk more about, more about that later, I guess. But I would say that as long as you have a really good drive and you can prove that, first of all, you, I mean, you have to have a decent amount of skill, but also the, the ability to meet the right people and get the comic in the right hands I think you'll be able to find artists that are passionate about comics to at least put together a five-page pitch, and that's really all you need to do it. And yeah, that's that's my recommendation. Go to places like DeviantArt. I mean, for example, uh, Justin Jordan from the Strange Talent of Luther Strode, he found his artist Trad Moore on DeviantArt, and I mean, the guy it, Trad Moore is phenomenal. But that's where he made that connection, and 
you can find some super talented people on there that are really, really hungry and just looking for a partner to team up with to get their work out there. That's awesome. awesome. I actually oh, you go say no, go see me. Go ahead. No, I just I had a question about the the writing process of of the comic, especially of, of Green Wake. Do you work in tandem with your artist for for each panel? I've always kind of wondered how the the planning process, like how do you decide which like which part of the story goes in each panel, or do you does the artist decide that, or do you guys work together? Well. So Green Wake, uh, it's a little bit different with Green Wake because I, like I said, Riley lived in the same town as me. So we'd often, probably once a week at least, get together for coffee and we would talk about what had happened in a previous issue, talk about where the story was going and, and get, I would try to get feedback from Riley as to things that he's been wanting to draw or things that he wants to put into the story or certain characters that he really enjoys drawing and get all these these ideas kind of in my head and I'd you know, take notes and then I would go back and write the script. Now, the actual script writing phase was a little bit different because Riley and I had already talked about it. So quite often in the scripts, I could be like, oh, this is where you insert this scene, the one we talked about at the coffee shop. And it's a lot easier because we've already you know, discussed it beforehand. Generally, though, when I'm doing a script, I actually do uh, a page breakdown. So it's like page one panel one, I describe what's in the panel, and then underneath that, I write my dialogue. And if I'm working with a newer artist or an artist that I haven't actually, like, worked with before, I generally take a little bit more control of the camera. So I'll say, like, you know, straight on shot, overhead shot, worm's eye shot, those kinds of things. Nice. And uh, with Riley, however, and, you know, a few other artists that I've worked with, uh, like Scott Kowalchuk that I worked on with Intrepids, after the first issue, you know, I could see that they clearly had a cinematic style, and so I felt that I would often be hampering them if I tried to take control of the camera too much. And so there's literally, especially like in issue 10 for Green Wake, um, it really is just like Morley's looking at Esther. And yeah. like because Green Wake is a very talky book, that's kind of what I had to do. But Riley has a way that he always seems to make um, you know, and sometimes I'll put the emotion in, but oftentimes he'll actually just read the dialogue and feel the emotion that's in the script. So mm -hmm. it's actually a lot easier because Riley knows inherently what I'm doing. So the more you trust an artist and the better you know them and the better you know their skills, the lot less control you have to take over in the script. But I still do write page one, panel one, and then I break down how many panels and I break down the dialogue and everything right. like that. Because, I mean, I'm looking at even just the first few pages of... Um of Morley and, and him being taken by the frogs. And it just, it just occurred to me. I'm like, how do you decide that? Okay. The frogs are here now. And as he's being consumed, do you want to get this amount of information out by the time that he is consumed and falls into, I guess, like the limbo or purgatory of green wake. So, yeah. So that, that actually is in the script, um, in the scripting phase where I describe, you know, with the dialogue, I'll say, you know, okay, for instance, in that scene, it's like, you know, Morley is uh, neck deep here and the frogs are enveloping around his chin. And then, you know, I put the, the caption for what the dialogue is there. And then the next scene is like he's pretty much engulfed now up to under his nose. And so I actually do detail that out. And generally, though, Riley takes has that's most of his camera work. He generally has been like he chooses the direction of the actual image itself. Yep. Whereas I just kind of try to feed his imagination with the actual scene and the dialogue. That's awesome. Uh, I got two quick questions. I don't know if it's getting into spoiler territory, but um, in the, the second arc of Green Wake, Esther, you'd mentioned her before. 
And I got the impression that we were supposed to already know who she was, but that she'd gotten a haircut. Have we met her before this? No, she she wasn't introduced in the first uh, arc. So one of the things that uh, with Green Lake is we had originally only planned it to be a five issue series, and uh, so that like if you guys have read the first five, yeah. you know how that ends. That actually was the original ending that we weren't actually going to go any further than that. I'm so glad uh, you did. <laughs> the only the only thing that was added was the page with uh, Krieger at the very end. Right when he goes out and sees that boat out there, that's the only thing that was added. Uh, but everything else was, that's how the first arc would have, you know, completed. But so we were picked up at, I think it was on issue two. They asked us to make an ongoing series. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to do was, it was an opportunity to, you know, in a sense, start fresh and add some more characters and of course, bring back some old ones. Uh, so Esther actually wasn't in the first arc. We, we kind of insinuate that. I mean, she was in a town. She was around. The first arc was going on, but we never did see her. Right, right. I got the impression that she was one of the people that Morley and Krieger, like, helped in the past. And yeah, we just didn't them, get to see that yet. You know, adjust to Green Wake. That's the impression I got. But what? Well, yes, yeah, yeah. Second question, Steve. I did, and then you chimed in, and I forgot what it was. <laughs> well, I wanted to say something about the. I thought found it very interesting, and I want to get uh, your reasons for this. Uh, obviously, the first, the two arcs have a very different color palette to them. Um, was that a, I mean, obviously it was a conscious choice, but what in the process did that come about? When did you decide that you were going to change up that look? Uh, that was pretty much when we got asked to do an ongoing thing, Riley and I sat down and, uh, it, it was actually artistic, but we also wanted to blend in a story reasoning behind it as well. And I believe it's issue nine where we actually, we explained the color change Hmm. And why why Green Wake all of a sudden is cold and blue and it's not swampy and dark and raining anymore. We actually have a story reason for it and why it changed. And it's actually tied into kind of the plot that we're seeing with the, the children in the, in the, you know, in the snow. And we're mm-hmm. slowly revealing that story as well, but it's all connected. I'm... And we had actually started talking about that about, I think, issue three. Issue three, we started talking about the next arc and... Riley just said, look, we need to, it's a new arc, we're going to start fresh, and I think we should change up some of the visual look just to keep it fresh and original. And nice. so when he when he said that, and I definitely wanted to listen to what he had to say because he needs to stay invested and he needs to, you know, feel like part of the process. And so, yeah, I just said, yeah, okay, we can work that in. And I started thinking of story ideas, and over the, you know, the course of a few months, we established why that change was going to happen, and then he started doing you know, sketches and visual changes just to show me how it would look. And from there, it was a lot easier for me to write it because I could see, oh, this is how it's going to feel. It's going to feel cold and mm-hmm. and all these things. So that definitely influenced the story. I mean, I know for me, just as, really quick, as, as a reader of it, um, I finished issue five and I was like, okay, we're coming back. And, I, you know, it was a, a initial was like, oh, it's, it's going to be another, like just the same story kind of continued and it was, but just that visual change re-engaged me as a reader like immediately. So I, I, I loved that, that the change in, in, in the art style. Just, I just wanted to put that in. But Steve, did oh, you... that's, yeah, that's good. I mean, I, th- I think that's what Riley was concerned about that. We really wanted to make sure that people knew that yes, this is green wake, but we're not just yeah. going to be walking across the same ground again. We are going to do something new, uh, both visually and with the story. We did carry over some of the plot elements but it really was kind of a fresh start for the new arc. So that's yeah. good. I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah, it worked gangbusters. Yeah, it, 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 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I remembered my question. Is there uh, any chance you could explain to us exactly how time works within <laughs> Green Wake, and as opposed to what's going on in the in the real uh, back in the real world? Because Morley, it was hinted at that he had just spent time inside of his house. People saw him from the outside looking in, not paying attention, kind of drowning his sorrows, and then he's back in Green Wake for Arc Two that there was some confusion between Krieger and Marley about how much time had passed. Is, is there anything you can shed any light on that? Yeah, well, sure. Um, again, that's kind of spoilery, but what... <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, that was very spoilery. <laughs> All right, well, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I... Yeah, I didn't get that far yet, guys. You just spoiled like, the whole first arc. <laughs> We've already well, been I mean, talking in, about in the arc. First, the first five issues, we... I tried to draw the parallel that, and and I did. I think it's in issue six where, basically, you outright find that um, Morley and Krieger realize that they entered Green Wake in different timelines, and mm-hmm. for Krieger, he showed up in Green Wake in I can't remember the year. I think it was forty one, nineteen forty one. But he was there before Morley was, and Morley said that it was like in the thirties when he transferred to Green Wake. I think it was thirty six. Um, so yeah, time time works differently, and that we do we do explain it like we do explain why that's gonna like why it works that way, okay. and uh, what the reasoning is behind it. There is a character in Green Wake that basically will really show the answer to that, and he's gonna make an appearance in issue nine and ten. Okay, and we've already seen him. We've already seen him, and we've actually hinted at who this character is. Uh, he's the senator. And uh, he's yeah. that really weird, super froggy guy from, I think, issue three or four. He's pretty awesome. I enjoyed that scene. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. So we, the thing is, we actually tell the readers who he is in Green... Whatever issue he's in, there's a, there's a hint somewhere in the arc that tells you exactly who he is. And oh. that will, like, put some perspective on the timelines of, of okay. Green Lake. Um, yeah, we will explain that. It, time does work a lot differently. And people from all different timelines are there. I mean, if you look at Esther, even Carl... They seem like they're a little bit more modern. Yeah, and so yeah, like we've been hinting that it's very different. Even like the the uh, the infrastructure of the town, there's all these old like Babylonian ruins here and there, and then there's modern houses and modern appliances and old things. So it's all over the map. Yeah, see, that wasn't too spoilery. We're all right. <laughs> no, nothing he said was spoilery. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah, the one of the things I, I really dig about it is that. I feel like obviously there are times where I get confused reading it, but I feel like sometimes it's I have that great feeling of this is going to be explained. I just need to kind of go with the flow here, and like there's there's a great mystery around there, and I love that. It it, it leaves me like an unsettled feeling sometimes, and I I enjoy that at, at times reading things like that. And I think that I don't know if that's what you're going for, but that, that that's the feeling I get a lot reading the book. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, we're we're touting it as a horror comic, so mm. the the idea is to. I think a lot of that disorientation is what has really polarized people on the story. Some people just like get super angry and hate it. And some people are like, oh, you know, I have hope that this is actually going to go somewhere. and They're going to tell me what's happening. And those people generally, you know, they really like it or they latch on to it. And uh, I think that disorientation is what makes people uncomfortable. It's because they can't, they can't really, they don't understand fully what's happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is one of the things that we, Riley and I promised in day one that, Regardless of what happens with the series, you know, if it continues on or if it stops at a certain point, that will answer what Green Wake is, what its origin is, and, you know, how it works and what's behind everything. We actually gave a pretty good 
I, I think a pretty good reveal in issue seven with the uh, with the flashback that Isham gives Morley, and, and it's just a two page spread. And I think mm-hmm. that it's it's very it's done in kind of a stained glass window. Yeah, and uh, we give pretty much the origin of Green Wake there, but it's still. It's not straightforward. You still have to interpret it a little bit, but it really does tell the origin of Green Wake. Yeah, I've, re- I've read those two pages a few times just to <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned it first that it was only supposed to be a five issue run, um, you know, before you got picked up. Obviously, um, do you have like an end game for the story at the, uh, uh, eventually, or um, I guess that's my question. Do you have an end game for the story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Riley and I know exactly what is going to happen with it. And we actually know the very last page. We already know what's going to be on it. So we know we know the entire storyline. We know exactly what is going to happen as far as the characters, what is going to happen to the town of Green Wake. And, you know, even some of the secondary characters that have disappeared, characters like Carl and the senator and Isham and all those different characters, we've all got resolution for them. So, yeah, like we do have an end game and we know exactly what's going to happen. Awesome. That's that's great to hear. I mean, I was, I was, I thought the payoff for the first, the first arc was great. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do in, in the future. Absolutely. But speaking of the future, we should probably talk about uh, your new book. Unless you have another question about Green Wake, Steve. No, I'm ready to move on to uh, Peter Panzerfaust or Stephanie. Um, sorry, you've been quiet for a little while. Did you, did you have anything I you want to add? I have I've just been absorbing it all. <laughs> and I mean, I'll just add in. It's not really so much a question as I think the writing and Green Wake as a whole is great. I was saying to Steve and uh, Bobby, even when we were playing Gears of War, I mean, it's one of those things where you can discuss. Like, it's one of those things that just, it's all about interpretation and it just leads to endless discussions. And I think that's absolutely great. Like, when reading something, when watching something, just the ability Mm. to talk about it with other people and... uh, yeah, that's yeah, it's, pretty it's well. not as it's not as straightforward as a lot of other books, and that makes for a really good conversation, really good reading. Yeah, exactly. So that's all I wanted to add in. But I like the oh, mystery thanks. aspect to it. I like the fact that they're like they don't, you don't tell what's going on right away. I know that sometimes readers get impatient, but I feel personally that the stuff that has been revealed and the payoffs are solid. That if you keep mm-hmm. reading, you're gonna get a good answer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the the thing too is that my my favorite, my two like nar- favorite narrative things ever really are the Dark Tower series and Lost, which are both known for their kind of disorienting, like narratives. They're twisting narratives that they don't always pay off right away, and they they pay off very late in their in their stories. And that's the kind of stories I really attach to. And that's the same kind of feeling that I get, even though obviously very different in tone and and and, and content. The same kind of feeling I get. Um, when reading Green Wake, so uh, oh, good job. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so let's move move on. Steve, you want to you want to lead off with some questions about Peter Panzerfaust? Well, why don't you um, why don't you tell us where you first got the idea? What was the inspiration? Um, it seems to be a, a completely different tone than Green Wake, like polar opposite. So I'm just wondering, um, what were your intentions when uh, creating Peter Panzerfaust? Well, this is something that I've I've been thinking about for I'd say almost four years now, and uh, Tyler, the Tyler Jenkins, who's the uh, artist for the series, we're actually pretty good friends for a while now too, like almost four or five years now, and we've been putting together comic pitches for years, but we've never actually had anything picked up, and we we did do something with Arcana called Snow Angel. It was a graphic novel 
just this crime noir kind of story. It's like a female Scarface story. And we, we did that like about three years ago and it just came out this year, but we were, we've been wanting to work on something together for a while, but this is Peter Panzerfaust is something we actually put together. Yeah. About three years ago. And it was kind of a joke. It started out as we were just kind of emailing back and forth different story ideas and they were just kind of getting stupider as they went. And uh, then Tyler emailed me this thing where he's like, Oh, I got a really good one. How about like the lost boys and like apocalypse now. And they're like basically fighting, you know, during the Vietnam war. And I was like, that's so dumb. And, uh, but then I started thinking and I was like, well, hold on. I was doing a bit of research for, uh, just, I was researching the French resistance and the white mouse and I found her story really interesting. And it was the same time that he pitched that to me. And I was like, Oh, I can actually use this in a really interesting way. And so I started doing the research for it and I just put together the, I think it was the first 12 pages of the script. I wrote that three years ago. And for the most part, that has been untouched. I used that exact script from three years ago. Uh, we used that to pitch. So, I mean, that's the origin of the story. It was just kind of a joke email that uh, that got me thinking a little bit more seriously about it. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> how, um, how, how, like... Um... How large in scope are you looking to go with the book? Is this going to be like a one of five or is this going to hopefully be a continued uh, series? Well, I'm praying to the comic gods that it sells better than my other comics so that it can be an, like a further ongoing series. I mean, we've, we haven't really publicly announced that it's ongoing, but we're, we're essentially just going to gauge to see how it sells. And, uh, but yeah, like I've got... I'm just trying to remember how many it was actually in my head. I think it's about 30 issues of story. And wow, it, nice. that basically comes down to the fact that every five or so issues, uh, there, there's, okay, I'll explain this first, I guess. In, in, the, in every issue, there's a, an interview scene where they're interviewing an older man mm-hmm. who has, you know, is one of the lost boys, essentially, from World War II. And, and he's regaling this interviewer with, his memories of the war and his memories of Peter and every five or so issues, we're going to switch up that person. Oh, and cool. that person is going to be a different lost boy. And in, in so doing, we're also going to switch up the narrative style and the visual style just a little bit because each of those characters brings with them their own perspective on who, of who Peter was and what their experiences were. That's really um, awesome. So yeah, like we want to have, you know, five or six issues per character and there's a pretty big cast. So, I mean, at least, I mean, if it goes really well and it sells well, then we could probably easily do 30. That's amazing. That's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I really <laughs> love the idea behind switching the perspective. Like, that's, to me, seems, like, really ingenious. Like, Well, it's like the art know. for Green Wake. Like, doing something like that completely switches it up and keeps it fresh. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot. You know, we were we, you know, we started this thing to talk about the new Fifty Two, and a lot of us are in the number fours, number fives of those books now, and a lot of them, even the books I like, are, are beginning to get a little bit stale for me. And I, I think that the idea with the, just obviously you haven't done it yet, but that idea seems like something that could re-engage readers. You know, every every five months or so, or whatever. Well, it's always good yeah. to hear that somebody's doing something different. It's yeah. like, oh, did you check out, you know, Peter Panzerfaust this month? Like, they switched perspectives again. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, what's that one like? And then, yeah. you know, they go and check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's also really great to get um, to tell a really, really full story. It, I mean, there's such a huge cast of characters. One of the things that I was a bit concerned about was just, like, a character bloat. And I, I have written a team book before, but 
by issue three on this, there's ten main characters. Oh, so wow. it's it's going to be difficult to differentiate them, you know, just in this the the five issues per you know whatever I guess so as long as the story takes to tell. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if we can get their perspective on the story and we get a little bit of a focus on them, then that's I think that'll add a lot to the story and will actually change it'll change perspectives on the events that have happened. So I think that's really fun. Um, are we going to be introduced to uh, one main villain, or is there going to be like an opposing army that we'll have to worry about? Well, the the concept is it's Peter Pan and the Lost Boys are caught up in France during World War II, and in the long run, they end up getting swept up in the French Resistance and are fighting Nazis in Paris. So, yeah, basically... Um, there's going to be well, – obviously, we're going to have a hook character, right? Yeah. And uh, for, for anybody that wants to check it out, if you go to Facebook, uh, we have a site. Just I mean, just search for Peter Panzer Files. Tyler has done up a rendition of, of Hook on the site, and it's super awesome. It's basically this guy in, like, SS gear, and he's – anyway, it's, a, it's basically Nazis meets Hook. And, <laughs> cool. um, yeah, so anyway, we, we have that. Obviously, we're going to do an homage to that character. And of course, the other characters as well. Is Mr. There... Smee is going to have some kind of variation, and everything that happens in the story is going to be a shout out to the events that happened in right. the, the actual Jam Berry's Peter Pan. And so things like how does Hook lose his arm? Well, yeah, it's a crocodile, but we're gonna we're gonna reinvent it so that that was my next this. question was if the crocodile <laughs> was going to come in some in some form because I, I yeah. love I've always loved that character. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to come in some form, but I think people are going to be pretty surprised at how we reinvent it. So all, all these things are reinventions, and I, I'm trying to make it um, – that's going to be part of the appeal that I'm trying to make it, that people are like, oh, how is he going to incorporate uh, the natives? How is he going to incorporate the mermaids? And and it's going to be fun. Like, I, I have it all figured out. I just – it's a matter of taking my time to reveal it. Right. And, I mean, some of those characters, like even Hook, probably aren't going to show up in the first – first arc i don't think because we're it's going to be focusing on these characters for now yeah what about um like the magical elements of peter pan i know i don't want to say anything because the book's not even out yet but um do you plan on introducing some magic elements or do you think that that's going to be a little bit too far-fetched considering that it's supposed to be during wartime <laughs> well th- and this is where the the uh different viewpoints comes into play so the first arc we're getting, in, uh, the old man is, is Gilbert, and uh, Gilbert in the story is Toodles from uh, the, uh, the book. Oh. And, and so right. what? It, and you don't actually see it yet. I mean, it's it's hinted at in the first issue, uh, in the interviews. He basically, uh, the interviewer makes a remark of, you know, was it the boys that gave you the nickname Toodles? And he responds, No, that came later with Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be given a shout out. And I'm sorry, I got totally sidetracked in what I was going. What was the question again? <laughs> um, my uh, I, I'm ma- magical elements. Is, oh, right, is right, Peter right. going to be, is there going to be magic within the book? Right. So, yeah. So Gilbert has a very, um, his perspective on things is very much his own. And so part of the fun of the book is going to be, yes, we are going to establish the certain magical elements, but it's all a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gilbert very much sees Peter in a, in a very positive 
in a very glowing light. He really looks up to him and admires him and remembers him fondly. And in fact, he, he believes that Peter wasn't just an ordinary boy. He thinks that he was, he had powers that he was supernatural and that's mm -hmm. why he was, you know, so strong and so fast and could do so many things. Whereas if you, you know, down the road, when we take it to a different character, they're just going to say something as simple as like, no, he was just lucky and really, you know, really stupid half the time and he should <laughs> never have survived and those right. kinds of things. Uh, so it's all a matter of perspective. So yeah, we are going to be able to infuse a little bit of that mythology in a playful way, but it all depends on the perspective of who's telling the story. That's great. I can't wait to see how that works out. Um, when is the uh, book coming out, Curtis? It comes out February 15th. Very nice. Um, yeah, everybody should check it out because it is pretty fun. And it's so different from the Green Wake. It's amazing. Like reading it, just, I, I like, you know, it was like a Green Wake zone. I read, you know, eight issues of Green Wake in, you know, two days. And then I turned to this book and it's just, a, it's a complete different take. And it's interesting to see that difference in a writer. I mean, I haven't read your earlier work, so I don't know how that relates, but um, I, I found it to be highly entertaining, so... Oh, yeah, thanks. It, it's different than Greenway. Greenway has been, it's been, I'll just say it's been therapy. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, but it's definitely a darker story. And, and after, you know, I'd, I had finished up to um, issue 10 of Greenway, I was just like, I need to do something uh, more lighthearted, more adventurous, more fun. And this is something that I've been wanting to do for years, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And most of the stuff that I'm writing outside of Greenway is definitely taking a much more lighter tone. And uh, I, I find that, I mean, when you write things, it's all about this, you know, the state of mind you're in at the time. And, and Green Wake was when I was going through a pretty rough patch in my life. And so it was, you know, it, it had to happen. I had to write that story. But, you know, things have come around and I'm happier and I'm, I'm, things are more successful. And it's like, I feel good. So I want to write about exciting things and fun <laughs> things. And it's very it's very hard to write like, you know, dark horror miserable you know noir stuff when life's good you know <laughs> <laughs> that's my mom asked me she's like how come you don't write music anymore i was like because i'm really happy and it, it, and it just exactly. it doesn't doesn't flow the same anymore i was like when i was unhappy i was writing songs left and right and now i haven't written anything because i got married and i'm having a blast <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that that exactly that's that's exactly the mentality that i was going through so yeah peter pan is peter pan's Faust is something that is i'm really excited about and i i just feel like people are really going to connect with it because it's fun and it's a mythology yeah. that everybody knows and generally everybody really likes it and we're going to reinvent it in a way that'll keep people on the edge of their seats so i, I hope people check it out it's really it's it's really engaging and i do i was going to mention this earlier that i really like um i mean even though they're so different i like how the first issue of green wake and then the first issue of peter panzerfoss they kind of have that same level of mystery to them that not everything is handed to you in the first issue and that you kind of have to hold on you have to wait for some answers and i personally as a as a reader of comics i love that so I like I like being pulled in and being like, you know, we'll we'll get to that a little bit later, but here's a lot of great stuff in the meantime. So I think it's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. My pleasure. We're, oh, by the way, we're only being this nice because you're on the air. Once we, we, we get off the air, we're just going to bash yeah, you. Yeah, as soon as like we're done. It's just, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see page four? <laughs> <laughs> I thought he had a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Who's page? the guy with the mustache? I still don't know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> crowing <laughs> awesome um so curtis oh stephanie again you've been quiet for a while do you have anything you want to add i 
know. Um, no, I mean, I thought it was great. I loved the Peter Pan tale. Um, I mean, I loved, we were sort of talking about this pre-recording, but I mean, I love the little like homages to like the original story. Um, there's the second window to the right bit. And I believe, yeah. And I mean, I love it. It's just, it's great. <laughs> wow. All right. I don't, I, I lost my train of thought there because like, sorry, it went a bit like. Were you looking to I, the, at the second window to the right and just lost yeah, your, your train of thought? Yeah. And my Skype went a little wonky. And oh. so I was like, oh, yeah, I got mesmerized by. Keeping it tight here on Talking Comics. Uh, <laughs> sorry, yes. Sorry. It's all good. It's all Anyways, good. it's good. I liked it. It was awesome. The yeah. homages to the original. Fantastic. Thank you for the summary of what you just said 40 You're seconds welcome, ago. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> um, so, Curtis, uh, thank you very much. Uh, do you have any place where people can get in touch with you? The website, your Twitter? I don't know if you want if you want to pimp anything before you, you leave us today. Uh, yeah, the... Basically, you can get a hold of me on Twitter. I'm pretty quick to respond, and it's a good way for me to avoid working. So uh, <laughs> it's just my name, Curtis J. Weeb, and uh, I also have a Facebook fan page that I update pretty regularly with like news about my upcoming projects and uh, like answer questions there as well. And that's just my name as well. You can just search for Curtis J. Weeb, and that is my yeah. Those are my two contact points, I guess. And my email information is there as well. So if you want to have an email chat? Go ahead. And uh, Green Wake, number eight, was on the shelves last week, correct? Yeah, uh, that came out December 28th, I believe. And then Green Wake, number nine, I'm not sure. that uh, it's, it's the last uh, Wednesday in, in January. And then uh, issue 10 comes out in February, and that wraps up the second arc. And then that is also the same month that Peter Panzerfaust comes out. Awesome. Very so cool. lots of chances to check out your work on the shelves right now. Hell yeah. Yeah, and, and one more I have coming out in uh, May, I believe, is called Grim Leaper. And there's some uh, teaser art on that on my on my Facebook thing as well. So you Ooh, can my, my eyebrows just went up. <laughs> and uh, just from me as well, I mean, for people who haven't picked up Green Wake yet, I mean, it's been making a lot of best of 2011 lists this year. So, I mean, congrats on that. And uh I mean, obviously people are responding to it and really enjoying it. So I hope that it keeps coming and we see more and more work from you. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, uh, 2011 was a, a pretty good year. I'm hoping that this year, 2012, I can stay productive and put out more comics that people love. It's been a really, really rewarding experience so far. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Curtis. And uh, we hope to have you back sometime. All right, for sure, yeah. Keep uh, in touch. All right. All um, right. We'll be right back uh, after this. We are back. Um, I want to thank again Curtis Weeb for being here. That was awesome. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Lots of good information. Very cool. Yes, and you should be checking out. Green Wake is great. Um, it, it just, it really grew on me. Like we said before, it's a, a really, it make conversation. You can have a huge conversations about it, just like we were saying. And it's definitely a book that you should be checking out. Um, but Issue 8 came out last week. 
Let's talk about this week. Let's talk about this week. Let's talk about today's releases. They're on the shelves today. Today, um, prob- not right now because, well, maybe not right now because you might be listening to eight o'clock in the morning. If you are, you're a true fan. But other than that, they're probably and on we the thank shelves you. already. Yes, we thank you very, very much. Um, let's start out with um, some DC. Let's let's do that. We got some got some big books coming out from DC. We have Action Comics number five is hitting hitting the shelves. We have. Animal Man, yeah. number five, um, which, come on. It's <laughs> Animal Man. It's Jeff Lemire. Yeah, it's Jeff Lemire. Let's do it. Um, Batwing, number five. Detective Comics, number five. Green Arrow, number five. Poop. Hawk and Dove, number five. Poop. Poop. <laughs> Justice League International, number five. Don't know. Men of War, number five. Probably poop. Um, OMAC, number five. Penguin, Pain and Prejudice, number four of five. Steve, yes. you're reading that book, right? I am, and it is very, very, very good. Cool. Um, Red Lanterns, number five, which is also poop. Um, Static Shock, number five. Stormwatch, number five. I am psyched. Who would have thought that thunk I would be saying those words? Who would have thunk it? Swamp Thing, number five. Yeah. And Sweet Tooth, number 29. So big Jeff Lemire week. Um... Let's see. From Marvel, we have Avengers Academy number 24, Avengers Annual number one, which is a one shot. We have um, Avengers X Sanction number two of four, which is again a leading into um, X Men versus Avengers. It's kind of like the prequel to that to that story. Um, Defenders number two. Uh, Defenders number one was a book that. Um, Andrew Foley talks about when he was on the on the show. Oh yes, uh, written by Matt Fraction. Um, we have Hulk number forty-seven, Punisher number seven, uh, Thunderbolts number one sixty-eight. Uh, we have Uncanny X Force number eighteen and nineteen point one. We have Uncanny X Men number four, Villains for Hire number two of four, um, Wolverine and the X Men Alpha and Omega number one of five, X twenty-three number twenty. X-Club number two, X-Force volume two, hardcover, <laughs> X-Men number 23, and that is all for the X-Men books. I feel like every week there's like 11 X-Men books that come out. Well, it's like a, a couple of weeks ago where every other day was a Batman day. It's true. Yeah, it's true. There are a lot of Batman books. You're very right about that. Um, from Image, we have Artifacts number 13, Blood Red Dragon number three, um, Fatal number one, so that'd be something you could jump in. I don't know anything about it, but... The, the image is good because they have a lot of number ones a lot because they do a lot of like pilot season books so they can get uh, new books out into the into the into the world. Um, Shinku number four, Witchblade number one fifty one. Um, oh. What I thought you were going to tell me it was a number one. I was going to jump on and then no, you're no, like one fifty one. I'm like, oh, well, forget that. No. From IDW, we have Cold War number four, um, GI Joe number nine. Um, Star Trek Legion of Superheroes, number four of six, and True Blood, the French Quarter, number five of six. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed, <laughs> sir. Oh, boy, indeed. Um, from Dynamite, we have Flash Gordon Zeitgeist, number two. Living Corpse Exhumed, number five. <laughs> Lone Ranger, number one. We, Alex Ross is doing a cover for that, which I don't know if he's doing the art, but he's doing the cover. Uh, Nowhere Man, number one. RoboCop Road Trip, number one. <laughs> I had to say it. I, I, you can't not say RoboCop Road Trip, which sounds amazing. Um, Vampirella versus Dracula, number one. Sweet. And Warlords of Mars. Warlord of Mars, sorry. There's not plural of Warlords. There's just one. Warlord of Mars. Deja Thoris, number nine. Um, 
And also, oh, from Dark Horse, we have Goon, number 37. Um, obviously, there's many more releases out this week, but those are some of the biggest ones from your biggest companies. Um, I'm going to see if I missed anything here. Boop, 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 boop. Nope. I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's me being thorough. Dang. Yes. My, my computer brain. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, I was going to say, you sounded like something Shh. from... <laughs> I love watching you do the animations while you make your noises. Yes. It's great. Stephanie, you really missed the whole show for not being in the same room. I know. I'm I'm visualizing and I'm visualizing you going like beep boop 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 and you're like pretending to type and go over your list. That's exactly what he did. Yep. Wow. So he does it he does it with a lot of there. flourish and pizzazz. Yeah. The power of imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so that is it for this week's show. Um if you guys want to be part of the discussion, like people on Twitter were asking questions to Curtis, at uh, Talking Comics is the place to get in touch with us there. Um, email info at talkingcomicbooks.com. Obviously, the website, talkingcomicbooks.com. Um, you can see I have my list of my 10 favorite comics of 2011 up there right now. Also, my review of Foster. We have reviews of Monosite. We have reviews of Rachel Rising. Um, all our books of the week are, are up there right now. I'm um, also a review of Green Wake number one is also up there. Yes. If you want to check that out. And uh, top tens from, uh, I guess, uh, myself and Stephanie will be up shortly as well. Indeed. Very nice. I yes. look forward to reading those. I bet you do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, also, uh, subscribe to the show. Uh, find us on iTunes. Search Talking Comics. Um, if you subscribe, obviously you get the show whenever it gets there. It, you actually get a little before everybody else because iTunes is up to the store automatically. So if you're subscribed, though, you get the show as soon as it gets released. Um, also, it helps us out because subscriber numbers you know, are a good placement for iTunes. The better placement we get, the more books we can get, the more we can tell you guys about, and the more stuff we can bring you, like the guests we had today um also review us on itunes please it we really mean a lot to us if you can if at the least rate us at the most write a little review and tell everybody what you think of us because i know what i'm looking for podcasts a lot of times if I, if i'm looking for new sh- new podcasts if i don't see reviews i won't download it because i you know who knows what kind of dog and pony show yeah, why bother, right? yeah <laughs> exactly um and so next week, um, we're obviously we're gonna do our book of the week next week, obviously, but we're gonna be focusing a little bit less on comics and a little more on video games next week. Um, we're gonna be doing our talking comic books uh, games of the year. So we're all gonna have a, a nice top five list. It's gonna be a throwdown. And I think I, I think and uh, I approach this with the Steve off mic, but we're on air. We're, we're playing it fast and loose. I think we should decide to pick one at, at the end of our discussion for talking comic books game of the year. What do you think, Stephanie? I think that could be. Awesome. <laughs> you sound very enthused. I know. Awesome. It's going to be so good. I'm, go. I'm, I'm okay. real curious as to how the voting is going to work on that. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get down and dirty. All There's right. going to be some screaming fights. <laughs> some mudslinging. No. Yeah, some mudslinging. You guys can pull each other's hair and not really. Not really. I, can't <laughs> really? Reach, I can't reach Steve from where I'm sitting. <laughs> okay, well, maybe kick. Is there a table? Can someone kick He better not shins? kick me. No, I can't. Steve's got a, br- oh, a right. bum wheel. I'm still him. injured. He's got a bum wheel. <laughs> That's I right. I can't kick him. Yep. <laughs> All right, so that has been the Talking Kong Books podcast for this week. For Steve. Yo, yo. Stephanie. Goodbye, everyone. I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. To be continued.